He kōna e pūrangi tēnei nā te reo irirangi o Aotearoa. Kia ora, nau mai haruma ki te au hurihanga. Hello and welcome to Our Changing World, ko Clerk and Cannon tēnei. When I run, I try to distract myself. I try really hard not to think about what's going on in my body. I listen to excellent RNZ podcasts. I listen to upbeat music. I look at the scenery, especially any passing doggos. Because the moment I focus inwardly on my laboured breathing or my achy muscles, I realise just how uncomfortable running makes me and I inevitably slow to a halt. But that's not the case for Dr Kate Thomas. So immediately on starting exercise, our breathing rate and depth will increase and within a couple of minutes heart rate as well. Blood flow redistribution starts happening. So sending more blood to the active muscle so it can contract. And this is stressful for the body, but in a good way, good kind of stress. And the more we do it, the more efficient we become at tolerating the stress. Kate is an exercise physiologist at the University of Otago. I caught up with her in a University of Otago lab based in the Dunedin Hospital, where someone else was exercising. Yeah, so we're in the middle of one of our experiments this morning. This participant will be, she's come in fasted, so she had her last meal at 12 hours ago last night, and then she came in this morning. We've done a few resting measurements, and she's now on the bike for three hours, and we take some intermittent measurements throughout this trial. And why? Why are you putting her through this? (laughs) Um, Yeah, good question. Uh, I guess we all probably know that exercise as well as how much food and what we eat is important for our health and well-being. What we're doing here is trying to combine some of these stresses, in this case exercise and fasting, to create a healthy environment for the brain. And we're doing a lot of different trials to sort of really work out how best to isolate or combine these stresses to create that environment. When Kate talks about stress here, she doesn't mean that feeling of having 150 unread emails in your inbox. What she means is pushing the body's different systems. I'm essentially an exercise physiologist, which means that I uh, study how the body responds and adapts to exercise and other environmental stresses, which includes things like heat, cold and high altitude. I'm talking about stress in the good sense, stress that leads to adaptation. Can you give me an example? Like, is this, you know, why we train in the gym and we put our body under stress by lifting things and then our muscles get bigger? Is that yeah, exa- exactly. Exercise is a prime example because it stresses so many different body systems in a way that perturbs them, but afterwards they recover and they then respond to that stress to be better able to tolerate it, for example, and that's fitness. You gain fitness by repeatedly um, putting your body under the stress of exercise. So with this experiment, you're kind of stressing with both exercise and the fasting, Mm -hmm. and the idea is to see what kind of benefits the body has over the long term? Yeah, so this this study is very much more mechanistic. We are... um, just trying to really pull the levers as much as possible, try different protocols with exercise and fasting in isolation and combined to understand more about what's going on in the blood, in the brain, and how um, the metabolism changes. The end goal would then be to see if doing this over and over leads to beneficial adaptations for the brain. But for this study specifically, we're just trying to understand more about what's happening. 
So in terms of the actual experiment, um, and you're keeping a close eye on your timer here, because soon what's going to happen? Yeah, so uh, this participant's been cycling for almost an hour, so we're just going to take a few measurements at the hour time point. I'm going to put a mask on her face. We're interested in her breathing, so we're interested in the oxygen she's using and the carbon dioxide she's breathing out. And from that, we can understand a bit about the state of metabolism her body's in. We're also measuring heart rate as we go. We are measuring blood glucose continuously, and I'll also take intermittent samples for lactate and ketone bodies, so different products of metabolism. We're also measuring blood samples um, throughout so that we can, again, measure those products of metabolism um, more closely in the blood. Basically, as you stress the body through fasting or exercise, you push it to change what it's using for fuel. This is not an experiment on how best to improve athletic performance. Kate isn't interested in how many kilometres or how fast this volunteer will cycle over the three hours. She's focused on what fuels the body and, in particular, the brain are using. She's now put the mask on the volunteer and it's picking up all that information about oxygen in, carbon dioxide out and breathing rate. So I'm just measuring blood glucose from a finger prick at the moment. We've also got a continuous glucose monitor stuck in the back of her arm, so for the next couple of days I can assess blood glucose continuously as well. That's 5.1 M, so that's a pretty normal exercising blood glucose. Even though she's fasted, we're pretty well able to regulate our blood glucose for the first couple of hours of exercise. It will probably decline uh, by the end of the three-hour period. Glucose is the preferred energy source for the brain. But this study is aiming to see how you can switch the brain to using other energy sources. And what happens when you do? As we age, our brain's ability to use glucose declines, and that's even more the case in neurodegenerative diseases like Alzheimer's. What is important is that the brain can actually use other fuels, and some of these, for example, are ketone bodies produced during fasting and lactate produced during high-intensity exercise. So one of, one of the theories uh, and what we're trying to explore in this study is whether if we provide the brain with alternative substrates, how it chooses to use those and what that does for the brain's environment. So we think that by switching the brain away from using glucose as its main fuel to one of those other substrates, ketone bodies or lactate, that that triggers a bunch of pathways in the brain that help promote neural plasticity, cognitive function in general, resilience to stress. At all the important time points, I'm actually taking a venous blood sample because from that we can measure all the substrates at once, the glucose, the lactate, the ketones. And then probably the most important thing we're measuring is a small protein in the blood called brain-derived neurotrophic factor, or BDNF, and that's a protein that protects the brain and is highly linked to these protective processes with exercise and fasting. And so we're measuring if the interventions were uh, putting our participants through causes BDNF to increase in the blood. And then with the cognitive test, we're able to see if the changes in BDNF in the blood relate to how they perform in the cognitive test. So across the next couple of days, the participant will also take these cognitive tests to see how well their brain is working. The test assesses different things like reaction time, decision-making, spatial function, memory, attention and focus. 
because Kate is, as she puts it, trying to pull the levers, there are four different experimental setups that each participant goes through. There's a three-day fast where we don't encourage them to do any exercise, but they go about their normal daily life and we measure things every 24 hours. Then there's a condition where they come in and do the three-hour bike, but we feed them glucose with a drink throughout the trial so that their glucose is not being depleted. And then we continue tracking them for two more days again. So that condition is helping us to, to see if the exercise alone is good for the brain. Then there's another condition where we combine the exercise and the fast and see if there's a synergistic effect, if the combination of the exercise and fasting provides more substrates, different substrates for the brain to use. Um, And that's obviously the hardest one to perform. We're doing the exercise at the start of the fast because we think that accelerates the process of creating these new substrates, making the brain switch away from glucose earlier. And then the fourth condition, we have the participant come in and just drink a ketone drink. So that's basically taking an exogenous supplement, just providing the substrate, providing the ketone bodies without any exercise, without any fasting. So they would still have normal blood glucose. They haven't done any exercise. And from that, we're able to then see, is it something just about the ketones or is it something else around being in the state of starvation or the state of post-exercise that triggers some of these pathways for the brain? And, I mean, it would be super easy for all of us if it was just conditioned for it, right? You think you do supplement. <laughs> yeah, but. exactly. I, I think it's more complicated than that. I think there's more going on around being in the state of starvation or um, exercise, the stress of exercise that triggers all these different pathways that leads to the brain being more resilient as opposed to just providing it with ketones and still having glucose freely available in the blood. Yeah, it's never the easy answer, is it? But it's not as if Kate expects us all to be rushing off to do three-day fasts either. She's very clear that this is a discovery phase. We're testing this in young, healthy people so that we can really push the boundaries of what's tolerable and really, uh, I guess, pull the lever as much as possible and work out the different patterns, the different responses, the magnitude of effect uh, as clearly as possible and understand the mechanisms behind changing the brain's metabolism it would then take a bit of tweaking to make some sort of protocol that might be applicable to the general population because this is definitely not it. Kate is aiming to have 20 participants go through these four different trials. How then does she recruit people? I presume there was some kind of incentive or reward, but no. I haven't had to convince anybody to do this. People have found me, really, in, in wanting a challenge and have heard that we, you know, do hard experiments and there'd be, you know, a hundred friends or colleagues I could suggest this to and they would tell me r- right where to go. But, you know, so you can't convince people to do this. They either, off the bat, are genuinely interested and curious about pushing themselves and seeing what happens and learning some physiology or they just not want a bar of it so yeah there's it's there's two types of people in this I think yeah (laughs) and it's very clear which type of person Kate is yeah I'm one of the participants I'll be going through all the trials myself 
but I've also done all of the pilot testing leading up to working out this exact protocol. We've done equivalent um, protocols on a treadmill, on a rowing machine, on a bike, different durations of fasting, just to try and work out what would be the most optimal for this. So I'm... I've, ha- I've had a bit of experience with the hardship I'm putting the participants through, yeah. <laughs> and outside of this lab and doing the trials to set up the experiment, you also put yourself through other voluntary hardship. Yeah. <laughs> yes, yeah, I'm a, an ultra runner, uh, just a runner, I'd say. I have spent a lot of time running. Um, and again, that's maybe a similar mentality, is just wanting to challenge myself, see what I can do, yeah. Thanks to Dr. Kate Thomas of the University of Otago. Thanks also to Kate's experiment participant, who asked not to be named, but was happy to be recorded while cycling. Ko Kraken Kananaho te kaihotu o tēne hōtaka. I āwhina mai a Justin Gregory rawa ko Ellen Rikers. I produced this one with help from Justin and Ellen. Sound engineering was by William Saunders and Tim Wakan is executive producer of podcasts and series at RNZ. Our webpage is at rnz.co.nz slash ourchangingworlds. Tēnā koe i mai. Thanks so much for listening. Have a great week. Kia pai, tō wiki.